0: Welcome to the Media Ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. We I'm going to dive right in. We're in this series Lessons from the Kings this summer, and I'm trying to do something a little different to give this big big kind of big overview of Uh, the kings, from Samuel to Kings through Chronicles, uh, to learn. What are the lessons we can learn? Because history repeats itself, the whole Old Testament's there um, repeating itself. We're to learn, right, from history. And what are these lessons that we can learn today that we desperately need, not only for our own soul, but the church and for our own nation today? And we've been walking through those. Um, This morning we come, this is our third in this series, to... um, uh, three more just uh, lessons that I want us to dive into this morning. And we're going to look at this issue this morning on how are we honoring the household of God. As the king honored God's house, so went the nation. Um, this, is the, this is the history. I'll leave you to make that connection with what needs to happen in our nation, right? We're going to talk about that, getting our house in order. Um. We talked last week about Saul and David, the man after God's own heart. The difference between Saul's heart, David's heart, absolutely key. Where's our heart? This morning, we're going to move in our journey through uh, the kings in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this thing, the man after God's own heart. uh, What comes with that is, is someone that wants to be with God. Someone that wants to dwell with God. Someone who embraces the presence of God. And we know David is the one who wrote many of the Psalms. And we know it was David who on his heart was to build a house for God. To dwell and to worship the Lord in the midst of that. And so there's no... Uh, there's an intimate connection between being the man after God's ha- heart. And the one who dreamed of building right a house. A household for God right to dwell in. And it was his son, obviously, Solomon, who had a chance to build, actually, that uh, glorious temple, which is the only place in all the world that the one true God was actually worshipped. Um, and so what I'm going to do this morning is just tie what all that fitting together, moving into the New Testament, how Jesus had fulfilled that, and God's desire in the midst of all that, he granted David's desire because God wants to dwell with us. And that's this large story in Ephesians that says that in the heart of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is this grand plan, right, to uh, unite everything in heaven and earth together. And the household of God, you'll see over and over again here between David, when he's bringing the ark into uh, uh, Israel, same with Solomon, bringing the ark into the new temple. uh, they're, They're caught up in worship. Lord, how can I bring the ark? How can... The presence of God exists on earth. And that is a question that we all should answer. How can man and God exist together? How can a holy, perfect, just God, glorious, holy, perfect God dwell with sinful man? And God is the one who's answered this whole thing. And he comes back. And to tell David is uh, that, look, I, God says, I don't dwell in a tent or anything is... But I'm going to build you a house. That's the promise back to David. I'm going to. God says, I'm going to build you a house. And we see all through this grand glorious story from the beginning to the end, God's heart is to have a family and to dwell, have his children dwell with him in his house. And we move into the New Testament, we see whether it's Ephesians 2 and go to multiple places, God carrying out through history this glorious scheme of how is heaven going to come. And remember, we we've some of us grown up in a revivalistic idea where man, how can I get to heaven? We always talk, well, how can I go to heaven? Actually, that's not the right question. The question is how ultimately can I dwell with the holy God? That has to be dealt with first, deeply inside the soul. And the other thing that's not right about that is, yeah, we'll temporarily, temporarily go to heaven now, but you have to understand, is God is bringing heaven to the earth. He's restoring this place. His whole plan from the beginning was to dwell with us. The new Jerusalem is coming back, God's presence, all of heaven, the fullness of God's glory, not just this fire we're going to see this morning that comes down and consumes the the sacrifice in the temple, but the full glory of God coming to this place, and he's in his process of saving this world, redeeming souls, making your very soul and heart a temple, the presence of the Spirit of God, so that we might be able to live in the presence of a one that is beyond glorious. And loves us more than we could ever ever imagine this is the course of history this is what this is all about this is what God has been doing his salvific work all through history is building a people for himself And with everything we're looking at all the chaos going on in our nation the world right now is our priority needs to step back first and are we honoring God your house are we honoring your presence Until God's people do that, the nation will not, as we're going to see this glorious promise, no matter what we throw up to God, we're not going to see our nation healed, we're not going to see hearts healed until his house is healed. Until there's a cleaning process, until zeal for my house is brought back. And we see David in Psalm 69. I say, zeal for your house, God has consumed me. We see Jesus repeat that. When he went in and cleaned out the temple and his disciples remembered, it was said of him, that zeal for my house will consume me. Folks, we need today God to stir our hearts, right? Stir his church again. Where is the zeal for the household of God? Where is the zeal we see in David, as we'll see as the great worshiper, right? To be in the presence of God. um. Folks, we got to enjoy some of that here. And it was awesome, right, seeing. We're going to talk a little bit about that expression of what it means to honor his house and to come and be a living sacrifice that the fire may fall upon, right? Um, Just anybody watching online or if you're here, and maybe this is like, you're just like, what is he talking about? You know, and you're just here, you're new into this journey, you're, you're, you're thinking about Jesus, you've had some church in the background, but for the most part, church has been irrelevant, and Jesus has been irrelevant, um, I just, I encourage you with this, number one, thank you for listening, or thank you for being here, this is a place for you, to come and press in with your questions, with the fullness of your heart, I would leave this with you, as we go through this, leave your mind, let God speak to you, and let your mind and your heart be open to him. And I let you kind of hang on this thought is, is um, what reality is your soul aligning with? Is your soul aligning with this world and the, all the uncertainties in this world? Or is your soul aligning with Jesus and his resurrection and the one who is a promise of eternal life for you? There's only two roads, one's narrow, one's broad. Which reality are you embracing for your soul? And just let God right, speak to you on um, this morning. So Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time we come. And Lord, um, this, this, is, this is more, this isn't just a lecture, this isn't just some steps to help us. Lord, we, not to, we want to hear your word. We want it to stir us, Lord. Convict us, Lord. Wake us up. Cut through all the junk right to the core of where our being is. What we need to hear from you today, God. It's time for your people again to understand, Lord, that we are to be people who are under the conviction of your spirit, God. Move, God, with fire. And overwhelm us with your amazing grace, your mercy, your mercy, Lord, move among your people a nuisance of humility, a nuisance of zeal for your house, a zeal for the things that please you, God. Father, we want to see our land healed. But Lord, it starts with your household. The whole Testament shows us this. Lord, as the household goes, if it's not honored, the nation goes. And it won't do us any good to jump out there in politics and throw all of our energies there or other things unless we get the household before you clean holy, zealous for your glory. Then you will hear our prayers. And then you'll heal our land. Lord, come. Stir our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I got three lessons. I'm gonna the first two. I'm gonna fly through because I want to get to number three, where we're gonna camp out. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, there's one underneath, underneath the seat in front of you. Woo. Um, my brain was going fast than my tongue. Um, I encourage you to follow along. We're gonna be in Second Chronicles, uh, chapters three through seven this morning. Um, as I said in this series, I am giving you a whole bunch of information. Um, take it, dive into it, let God speak to you um, to back up this lesson with all these passages. Um, and I'm just going to refer to them as we move along. We're going to dive in, though, into Second Chronicles, mainly chapter 7 um, this morning. But I've got two lessons, lesson 7 and lesson 6, before we get right to, um, uh, to the final one this morning. Lesson 7, then um, we want to get to 9. So the first one, folks, people after the heart of God desire to enjoy the presence of God and work to build the household of God where heaven and earth come together. Um, 2 Samuel 6, we see here that David, the man after God's own heart, soon after this, is that David was getting this longing. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to worship God. He was the worshiper. He was the man after God's own heart. And if we're seeking God in our heart, when God touches us, a natural expression is worship. Right? Not just with one aspect of our being, but what is the great commitment? To love the Lord of all, all of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love God is to worship God. You can never separate those. You cannot say, I love God, if you are not a worshiper of God. You cannot grow in your love for God unless you're growing in your worship of God. These go hand in hand. You cannot remove the intellectual idea of love from the radical manifestation of worshiping our Lord, and we see again. This is the the practice, right? We see in in, um, in God's word, and so David comes right in Second Samuel, and he's he's trying to get the ark right into. Uh, into Jerusalem the presence of God and, and um, you know the story again go and read it but remember they try to bring it in and, and he's setting up a tent for it uh, and he wants it close the presence of God the ark was the symbol of the covenant the promises of God that they are God's people it is a powerful uh, thing that wasn't just an image or a symbol it actually right carried the presence the power of God right into battle and everything else and um so in the midst of this though, they, they didn't take time to read the commands of how you're to move and to honor the, the glory and holiness of God and, and Uzzah reached out his hand, if you remember the story, and he was just struck dead, boom, on the spot and, and this just halted everything and, and this caused David to go back and, uh, and really say, Lord, what, how, and he, he pleads before the Lord, how can I bring the ark to me? How can I bring your presence to me, God? How can I get you close to me? How can I bring you into Jerusalem, right? into the city of God and, and worship you. And, uh, and so he goes back. He, 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 he sees the law. It was the Levites who were to carry and everything else. And, and, and he's able to bring it in. And, and he brings it in in chapter 6 and 7. And um, again, go check this out in detail, but um, this is where David just cuts loose. Let's just put it that way. And as Julie was saying earlier, uh, the word for, right, for, for blessing and, and worshiping is um, many of the Hebrew words. Uh, the Hebrews never prayed silently. This is a Stoic Western thing. There isn't such a thing in the Bible. You did everything out loud. Like, out loud. Right, and so when we say, "Hey, let's pray," if we were biblical early Christians, everybody would meet this place would erupt with prayer. Only Americans would say, hey, "Let's pray." It's like, mm. you know, it's just silent, right? Um, I encourage you to break out of that. There's something that happens when you speak the word. The Logos is the spoken word, right? Is to worship out loud when you're when you're worshiping. Pray out loud. Just go back. and You're, you're worshiping before God. Right? And you're praying. You're out loud. Right? Anyway, so he finally... The ark is coming in and, and they took extra precaution. Every six steps, they stopped and sacrificed. And, uh, and David just cuts loose. He just cuts loose. Um, those of you... Many of you know the story, but he... Um, here's the king. The man after God's own heart. Strips himself down to his, his little linen thing. And he's just dancing before the Lord. He's just letting it rip overjoyed that God's presence is with him, is with his people. He's the shepherd of God's people, of his house, right? And he's coming in with this joy of making a house for God. Um, But you know the story. You have his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, who's up in the window watching. She's disgusted. She's disgusted by that, you know, extravagant expression of worship. Um, And that cost her dearly. Um, and so, what do we learn from that? People after God's heart desire the presence of God. And I just leave it with you to think about extravagant worship. We're going to come back to that because we're going to see Solomon's form of extravagant worship. Um, but folks, I just ask you what kind of sacrifice, when it says to be a living sacrifice before God, what does that look like? Do you know him? Are you like David? Is there times where you just cut loose and you're just like, ah, I just, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. And we'll come back to that statement as well. Psalm 84, one of my favorites. Um, verse four, blessed are those who dwell in the house ever singing his praise. You are blessed. To put yourself in the household of God regularly, lifting up praises to God. Young people, I'm telling you right now, you want God's favor on your life. No matter where you go, college or whatever it is, you get yourself in the household of God. You might just have, well, I don't like the music, I don't like the preacher, I don't like... Find a place. Not going to find a perfect place. But you get into the household of God because it's there that God promises His favor, His blessing on your life. It is there. He will speak to you. He will meet you in that place because the command on our part is to bring a, bring a sacrifice of praise. That is not just alone. It is primarily together as God's people. So whether it's a little house church, wherever you're at, or whether it's a massive mega church, you get yourself into the household of God and you will put yourself in the stream of God's favor and blessing of your life. You try to live this life to follow God and think you're going to love God and experience his blessings outside of his household. It will never happen. The lessons of the king could not be any clearer. You honor the house. You honor the presence of God. And God will honor you. And he'll honor you with friendship and community and blessing. It just goes up down the line, right? Honor the house, right? And so, um, Ephesians 2... We move this God moving. What is through Jesus now, He's torn the veil, He's right and and I'm just giving this huge picture, right? He's created this beautiful household now um, for us, which is the kingdom of God. The church is to represent the kingdom of God on earth now. The household of God where the presence of God. What happened at the book of... uh, At Pentecost, no longer did the consuming fire which we are going to see come down and consume the sacrifice. The presence of God honoring the sacrifice of the people. Boom! Hebrews 12 tells us that God is our consuming fire. Even today, at Pentecost, the fire came down and consumed what? The worshipers. The living sacrifice. Tongues of fire hit the people because the temple now is the spirit of God. Inside us, James 4 says, God says, Am I not jealous for the spirit I've put inside you? Am I not jealous? Do I not want you in my presence? Worshiping me. And me pouring out my presence. My manifest presence right upon you. And so, um, Timothy, again, says, look, the church today. Paul says this, it is the household of God. The living God. The pillar and buttress of the truth. And if it doesn't stand solid on that, uphold the truth, the buttress of truth, right? In the nation that it exists, that nation will not stand. No expression outside of this. And we're in, we're in dangerous territory right now. Need a stirring Among God's people, a zeal to rise up again for the household, the presence of God. So we might come and plead, we'll get to it mercifully, humbly ourselves, God. Heal our land. All right? But start with us. Start with us. In the kingdom of God, folks, the church represents the kingdom today where heaven and earth come together, right? And the church should be the expression of everything Jesus talked about, the kingdom, the presence of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the the healing of God, uh, the transformation that happens in the gospel, the healing of families, the true expression of community and blessing, all of these things. It's the household of God. So that's lesson seven. Move through this one pretty quick. Lesson eight. Come second Samuel twenty four. This is tough territory. Second Samuel twenty four and also first chronicles twenty one. Many if those of you know that it's just repeated. The chronicle just gives a different perspective on what is said in, in Samuel. And uh, this is towards David. David now has the ark in. And God, if you, you know, read the rest of the stories, David has blessing. He brings peace, shalom to Jerusalem. He establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem. And, um, and I think they get a little lazy. And David gets a little prideful. And what happens here um, is in both those places, one says that now God was angry with Israel. And he incited David to break out with a census and the census was David to go and have his army go count the mighty men. The only reason you do that, and he came back, it was over a million something, is to bolster yourself in numbers. Look how big my nation is. Look how strong my military is. He'd gotten lazy. And folks, this is the, c- the course again. Nothing new under the sun. We get comfortable, and then we start leaning and trusting in our own accomplishments, our own uh, blessings. The physical ramifications rather than trusting in God. And um, the other account of this says actually Satan came and enticed David against Israel to bring this, this um, census. So you say, whoa, wait a minute. That's a, that's a problem in the scripture. No, it's not. It's a problem that needs to be worked out. Those two come together because, folks, thank the Lord that God is sovereign even over the evil forces, and you need to understand that God is always at work, and god 's plan is always bigger and better. What he was doing with Israel, what he was going to do with the temple coming up, what he was getting ready to do was was much, much greater and, and I have to believe the reason why Satan gets involved here number one is David got lazy, the nation got lazy, they got comfortable in their blessings of God. Um, but the other reason was, what's was getting ready to happen? The temple was getting ready to be built. The very central aspect of where God was going to move. And it's always been Jerusalem. Always will be Jerusalem. Jesus is coming back, setting his feet on the Mount of Olives again. The same place. New Jerusalem's coming from heaven. Heaven's coming back to the same place. One day. And um, a little side note. I, I do firmly believe that the Jews will rebuild the temple. And I think that they will try to reestablish sacrifice again there. Um, There's always a whole movement getting ready for that. I think when that happens, two things are going to happen. There's going to be great war, trauma in the whole world. Second thing that's going to happen is because of that turmoil, is that God's people, back to Romans 11, are going to start turning back to him. And see the one true Messiah, the one lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, That's a whole little side note. Um, Take that. Dive into it. Um, God's plan is always bigger and better than we could perceive. And Satan and the world are at war against the household of God and his plan. From the beginning, Satan and his force and the force, the evil forces that with Scripture makes very clear that are behind the world. means all the powers behind the nations and everything else are under the control of evil. Evil forces, and so, just a little side note is, uh, that should be very evident today. It should be blatantly evident today. That we're not talking about what's happening in our country right now is, this isn't political. This is primarily a spiritual move, right? And uh, because, again, it's nothing new under the sun. Go study... All the scripture. And in this situation, we see Satan gets involved because he wants to halt God's plan. His movement, right, of getting his house built and God's people established in Jerusalem where, again, the Messiah would later come, right? And uh, on this, and we'll come to uh, the details of this in a minute. Um, But does this make sense, gang? Because I want to move on here. Ephesians 6, right, what does that say in the New Testament? This fits together beautifully, right? It's put the whole armor of God in. All right, stand, make your stand in the evil day. You do not battle with flesh and blood, but primarily with powers, evil powers, principalities, authorities that are behind this world system. And this world system is at odds, it always has been and will be until the King of Kings returns and brings peace. An ultimate justice to this world. But the world is at war with God's kingdom and God's plan. But God's plan is always bigger. And he uses, folks, it's the glory of his grace. He uses my mess ups. He uses our failures. As we've seen with the kings and David and others. He uses all of our wrong steps. And his mysterious, glorious, gracious way moves it all towards his plan. He works out all things together. For good. For those who love him. Right? And been called according right to his purpose. So that's lesson eight. Here we go. We're going to go camp out here in lesson nine. Folks, many of you know this prayer. Um, the lesson is the prayer right out of 2 of, uh, um, Chronicles 7.14. And God says it's to Solomon after his presence had come down and, and uh, just, con- just uh, um, affirmed and blessed the temple. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Wow. What a promise. Now some of you maybe have been taught, uh, you know, that oh, that was for Israel, it's not for us today. I just take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God says, all of my promises... Are yes in Jesus Christ. And the whole course of nations and God's kingdom, there's nothing new under the sun. This is God's same desire for his people today, his household today, wherever we find ourselves, whatever nation we right, find ourselves in, is to be representatives of the kingdom of God and that light and salt right in the world. But that's not that's going to not be impactful unless we first get the house, our zeal for the house, right, established. So let's dive in. This is Second Chronicles, and I'm going to start in chapter 3. I'm going to just bounce through some things. Chapter 3 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Remember, David could not build it. He was a man of blood, bloodshed, and, uh, but it was on his heart, the man after God's own heart. And God promised, I'll build you a house, but it's going to be your son Solomon who's going to build that house. And it says, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. So here's what's really important. This connects back to the previous lesson. Is what happened is that when David did the census and this great sin among the land, his breaking of trust and faith with God and everything else, the spiritual battle that was going on, is that uh, God broke out. Broke out with the pestilence. 70,000 folks died. And David took upon himself. He was a shepherd of the people. He knew it was his sin. And as leaders go, the consequence of the people goes. And uh, David, a righteous leader, you know, took it upon himself to, to p- press in. And, and it's an amazing story because it says that he pressed in and and that he, he had this vision of the angel of the Lord with his sword. And, um, and so behind the pestilence were, again, spiritual powers. And, uh, and David intercedes and he, he takes it to the, the threshing floor of is, uh And he, bought the, he was commanded by the prophet to go by this place. That is where the temple ended up being built. And you know that that's Mount Moriah? It's the same exact place that Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice that God provided the lamb. God is always doing something bigger and better than we could ever imagine. And the enemy is always about thwarting God's plan. And Mount Moriah is the place where the temple is. This is the place that our Lord said, destroy this place in three days, I will raise it. And where our Lord came to be the final sacrifice on the cross, to die, to, and to open up eternal life, just to be raised on the third day, right? So that we could be have access the very access to the presence of God, anytime, anywhere. The veil was torn, talked to bottom. Um, the fulfillment of that. so amazing folks. One of the reasons why we're doing this series is because today there's this movement that is downplaying the Old Testament. And I want to say as loud as I can is that movement is only going to lead you to the pit of hell. Is that the whole, all of scripture fits together. All of it is glorious. All of it is used for teaching and rebuking. And it fits together like a glove. You do not understand the New Testament unless you have a foundation of the old. And so hopefully what I'm going to do is just give a little taste of how this massively fits together in God's glorious plan of healing and redemption in the world, how this beautifully all connects, right, together. And so back to Second um, Chronicles and to this prayer, our last lesson that we were going to camp on um, here uh, this morning. Um, that was chapter 3. In chapter 5, we see that Solomon brings the ark right into the temple. And in the beginning of chapter 6, it says, Then Solomon said, Lord um, has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. Um, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. And I jump over to verse 18. Um, but will God, this is Psalm. but will God dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. So again, you see the overwhelming sense of the glory of God. His fire comes down and consumes the offering. In other words, his manifest presence is there in the midst of God's people. And we see in the New Testament, the same thing Right happened um, at Pentecost. And um, let me jump, uh, just hold on that. Let's jump over um, to chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple so much so the priests could not. They were on their face before in the presence of God. The people expected God to respond in the midst of their worship in the New Testament the fire of God came down and put his stamp right the fire, the presence of God on living sacrifices his church now the spirit of God inside your heart as a temple of God but I ask you this question and this is part of the house cleaning for the church do we expect that? Have we done church where we expect God to come and be with us in a manifest way? To put his fire again on your heart? In the presence of God's people? Or, or have we created a theology that says well, God doesn't do that anymore? Or that was just at Pentecost. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want to dwell with us. Because if you go that way, I just challenge you. Number one, you can't back up in scripture. Number two, You're saying something about God. You're saying something about how he works. Now it's not going to look the same. It should look different every time. My point is the heart is God. You are with us. And in expectation he's going to meet with us. And he's going to meet my needs. And that all things are possible when God's people come together and worship him. He is more than able to do all things when God's people gather together so I just think we need to, as we think about this house cleaning, we think about honoring the household of God. Do you realize, if you know Jesus here, do you realize what is in your soul? If you know God, as Romans 8 says, is the Spirit of God exists in you. Do you know that treasure? Do you know that power? And folks, we have so put this gospel through a therapy filter we've lost the magnitude the reality of God's presence inside your soul that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that's what it means to be a spirit filled person that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus and if the spirit of God is inside you well I think we should have some greater expectation. Otherwise, what does that say about how I view my salvation? What God did for me. Otherwise, my salvation is just some words I say and and trust in what he said and where's the reality of the power and the fire of God? Where's the zeal for his house? This house to begin with. To honor him as as a living sacrifice. Moving on. Chapter 3. and When the glory hit um, the fire consumed and the presence of God filled the house. Right. Um, the people broke out in this saying and this is in chapter or verse uh, 3, chapter 7. And the people broke out and they gave thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. He is good. This is just over and over. His steadfast love endures for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You'll find this all throughout the Psalms. You'll find it in Ezra, this exact line. We don't know exactly where this came from, most likely from David. worship, but this was a key line of when God's people in his presence, you're good, God, right? This was the response to God's movement, the testimony of God among them, and your steadfast, your Hesed, your faithfulness to your covenant blessing throughout all the world, right? You're good, and, and, and your steadfast love endures forever over and over again. Folks, there is something very powerful about that line when it comes to worship, understanding the household of God. You cannot, I cannot get into the presence of God. I cannot grow in God if I don't believe He's good. That means in the midst of the very worst trauma, it means in the very, dealing with the Old Testament, it means dealing with all the hard passages. All of the scripture. I have to work it out. I can't say. God I'm sorry. Like that's happening today. In the church in America. It's, no we're going to set aside those passages. I have to come to the word of God. The whole word of God. I have to submit humbly. To God. Right. And come to him and say. God you're good. I don't understand it. But here's the deal. And folks I think this is honestly. Where so many people are at. I know because I talk to them. If you doubt. The goodness of God his character who he is you will cut yourself off from god and a church will cut themselves off from god your worship will be numbed the whole idea of worship is to stoke this to this is why in the midst of our pain in the midst of the hardest things in life I need to come it's worship among God's people that lifts me up lifts me up where I'm able to say even in the midst of these things I don't understand God even in the midst of this that happened in my life even in this trauma or whatever it is God you're good yes. and your steadfast love endures forever and you will do everything to work it towards good I, I just have to submit to you I leave this thing to you I don't understand that's a heart after God. And so I just leave this with you folks if you're, if you're wrestling, if you're holding on to anything where you're doubting the goodness of God because something happened you will halt your, your progress with God. He will withhold his hand. There's no exception in the, in the whole Bible to this. We can question God well, in the sense of what well, Lord, which we all do. Why did that happen? God, like David, why did this happen? That's wholly different. Questioning his ways. Lord, I don't understand. Versus questioning his goodness. And I just ask you to search your heart. If you're wrestling and you go to the scripture and you read something, oh, that seems so harsh or, or judgmental or woo, I don't understand. Be careful. That could lead your heart to harden to the goodness of God. If I have something I don't understand or seems harsh, I come to God, Lord, humbly, I don't understand this. But I know you're good. I know you're good. I know you're good. I know you're good. This is the heartbeat of God's people. And then we move to the next part. And your steadfast love. God, you are love. You are love. And it's steadfast. You are faithful to your covenants. And folks, these go together, right? And folks, again, this brings us to this place of humility. That member of the rich young ruler and uh, to Jesus um, you know, it's a good teacher. Jesus says, there's only one who's good. And we're playing with this. There's only one who's good. So when God's people come together, we worship God. You're good. He's the only one who's good, ultimately. We can do some good things. But we have flesh. And then we need a merciful Savior. We need the grace of God. We need his forgiveness, and he is willing to pour it out. But I will not receive that grace if I cannot bow my knee, even in the midst of all my questions, in the midst of all my misunderstood. What I understand, and say, "You're good, God. You're good." And this is why this statement—you'll see it all in the midst of of worship. And then you see what happens is that after this. Um, uh, Solomon dedicates the temple. Verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice. Listen to this. Before the Lord and King Solomon offered as a sacrifice, tw- this is his own sacrifice, 22,000 oxen. Just think about this. On the, all the altar, 22,000 oxen. An oxen focus is a big, big, big cow thing, right? <laughs> and uh, 120,000 sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but it's extravagant. And if you're like Judas, you would sit back and say, the alabaster of oil that was poured over Jesus' feet, and you'd say, man, that could have been sold and given to the poor. Extravagant worship. Um, In America, church is optional. We're not even asking people to bring, lay down sacrifices question is where's zeal for the presence of God where are people who are caught up with the glory and goodness of God their sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice of praise and when God's people erupt in praise in the household together God meets that with fire with his presence and with power we see it all through history right and then finally let me uh, wrap up here Um, here God comes and responds to Solomon with a conditional thanks. Solomon, um, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, um, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, this is God. Okay. And when I, and it just goes through the litany of things. When I send the locusts, when I send the pestilence, in other words, when I bring judgment on the earth to wake you up and to bring me back to you. And here's the promise. Then, if my people who are called by my name in the midst of pestilence, disease, famine, war, you go down the list of things. If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven And will forgive their sin and heal their land. What a promise. Um, I just want to end with this thought on this. Um, The importance of humility. Most of the time in the Bible when it talks about humbling. When the king humbled himself. They would put sackcloth, ashes. They remove any fancy thing from their life and they would fast before the Lord. So anytime you see humble yourself before the Lord, actually connected to that is a physical humbling of actually bringing ourselves before the Lord hungry for him to fill us and uh, for him to speak to us. And the thing is, is that all through the scripture is this conviction of, of what God has called us to do that we need to do, that we need to get and I just throw this out to you I I threw this around with some people this week but what do you think the purpose of the preacher is? Until we get this right in America this isn't going to happen. What do you think my purpose here this morning is? Yeah, There's lots of things shepherd, love encourage preach the word teach all these things but ultimately what's the purpose of preaching? And I'll just summarize for us it's to bring us all Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not not to tickle your ears. Not to make you feel good. Not to build you up and just feel so good about yourself. It is to not tickle ears. It is to bring all of us, myself before, hopefully, under the conviction of the Spirit of God. The glory of God. There isn't an expression of experiencing grace without humility, without forgiveness, repentance. Jesus began his preaching ministry by repent, people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the only way we get to this right here, humbling ourselves, is is a sense, folks, of coming before God, and conviction, folks, is something, right, what's replaced in the church today is, is simply, man, we just want to feel good about ourselves, we want to, and there is a time to build up, there's a time to say, this is who you are, these are your promises, and so conviction of the Spirit is twofold, one is I'm convicted about what I'm not doing, that I need to change and repent of, but I'm convicted also of what I should be doing, wow. I'm a child of God, I'm a new creation, I'm convicted, I'm not believing, I'm believing a lie instead of the truth of God. But what should be happening here is conviction, we should be all coming to the presence of God, bringing ourselves, all of ourselves, God, you speak, Holy Spirit, you come, you shine the light, you renew, you strengthen, and it's only when that happens that we can truly experience the fullness of the grace of God. Does that make sense, gang? Um, And so, Derek, y'all come on up. Um... Um, folks, I, I just personal testimony on my part. The only the times I've had the greatest breakthrough, the times I've had uh, the experiences with God, His answered prayer, um, they've all they've all come out of a season of of just humility and of repentance before God. Or he had to lead me to a place of, man, I got stuck in that wrong thinking. Or I got stuck in that wrong thing I was doing. Or I was thinking wrong about something. Or, honestly, man, this is deep water, but I I started doubting the goodness of God. That you have a plan for me, God. You have certain things laid out for me that I know are good. and, And I start doubting God. And I'm telling you what, that's a slap down. I'm not going to break out of that until I can be broken before God and own that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, God. Or For doubting your goodness, doubting you had a plan, doubting that you have good things for me as a child of God and doubting your steadfast love right for me. So, Father, just ask your spirit to come, Lord. Lord, move in, in my heart and your people's heart. lives well up. Stir up a zeal for your house. We okay, get people gather together, Lord, to enjoy you, to rejoice in your presence, to lift thanksgiving to you. Nothing heals the soul like that. Lord, teach us what it is to be humble before you, convicted by your spirit to be your children to embrace all of the good things of God we love you Lord we worship you God your spirit you're in this place and Lord we know you have good things for us you want to change us bless us heal us comfort us come and do your work come convict us so that you can heal us so we can receive your grace this is your house Jesus we honor you the head the leader our king Father today let your church rise up Father get right before you and then Lord you show us show us how to weep for our nation show us how to have hearts, Lord, to step out and, and to engage in the brokenness out there. Lord, for your glory to see transform lives, Lord. Yeah, Father, give vision. Give a prophetic word, Lord, to your people today. to Hear your voice.